I'm joined here by Rob Jones uh, for our ASCO um, oral presentation podcast. Um, Rob's an old friend of mine and we've done trials together. Not that many super successful ones, Ros Rob, but <laughs> we have done them together uh, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. Um, Rob, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Um, you're going to talk today about um, maintenance cabazacinib, but I guess before you get there, maybe just talk a little bit about some of the work you've done previously in VEGF targeted therapy in urethelial cancer and where we are with it. Yeah, sure. Hi, Tom. Hi, Brian. It's um, it's great to be invited to talk about this. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm a genitourinary medical oncologist up in Glasgow in Scotland, which is um, still part of the United Kingdom. Um, so, yeah. I, Tom, you and I have both been involved in trials of um, VEGF-targeted therapies in urothelial cancer over the years, and there have been many others who've done them as well. Um, and I guess it's one of these sort of tantalizing things where there's quite a lot of preclinical data to support the notion, but then there has been for a lot of cancers, um, but no real tangible success. Um, in urothelial cancer, at least. Uh, so you, you and I did, uh, for example, the Pluto trial, which was a, essentially a pure second-line trial. It was before the era of immunotherapy, really. Uh, and that was a randomized trial of uh, weekly paclitaxel versus pizopinib designed, it was a phase two trial, designed to demonstrate whether, whether pizopinib had superior efficacy um and of course it's actually one of the few randomized trials that actually shows that um a taxine taxane might be active in urothelial cancer That's certainly like it was it was very clearly um suggested that that pizopinib sh should not be developed further at least in that indication uh it was a resoundingly negative study um uh, and, you know, there have been a couple of randomized phase three studies. Um, there was the, the, the bevacizumab study uh, that was negative. Um, there was a ramisirumab phase three trial, again, in that sort of second line setting. Um, and whilst that was actually a positive trial, it was only relatively, mar you know, the, 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 it was a relatively marginal magnitude of benefit against progression free survival without any overall survival advantage. So that, that's never really, that's never made it into clinical practice. Um, and so there's never been an established role for these therapies what about in urothelial cancer. Leap 11, what do you think about that? About what, sorry? Leap 11, um, lenvatinib plus... Yeah, so this is lenvatinib um, plus pembrolizumab. Uh, again, this was a essentially a negative study. Remind me what the results of that trial showed, actually, Tom. So it's it was disappointing, wasn't it? Uh, Ramacimab, excuse me, not Ramacimab. That was lenvatinib pembro versus pembro <laughs> and uh, the response rate for single-agent pembro, about 28 to 30%, no increase in response, PFS or OS, by the addition of lenvatinib. Uh, and that was presented at GUASCO this year. Um, so uh, that was a, a, an, also a negative study. Yeah, and that's, of course, with a really, you know, a very potent VEGF inhibitor there as well. <laughs> So it sounds like, Rob, I mean, you know, some some signals of activity, but never really enough to get over the line, if you will, to change practice. Yeah. So I guess and I guess the other thing we've know we've never really come up with is is a potential patient selection biomarker, which, you know, potentially could um, help enrich for patients who are more likely to benefit. We've never really been able to deliver one of those for VEGF targeted therapy to, to, to explore the hypothesis further. 
So, Rob, before you talk about the specific trial results, the, the platform and the, the effort itself was interesting. If you could just talk about the different arms, you know, yeah. it's not all being presented, but, but it was really an interesting approach. So to say Atlantis is a platform trial. Um, it's also what, what we refer to as an adaptive platform. Uh, so by platform, what we really mean is it's actually um, a series of different randomized phase two trials embedded within the one protocol. And the adaptive bit means we can actually bring in and open and close new trial, new embedded trials at different points in time. So in other words, not all the trials start together. And, and so the, the, the basic sort of uh, hypothesis for Atlantis was to try and uh, very specifically identify, use, use biomarkers to, to identify patients who may benefit more, to, to, to enrich for patients who may benefit from a particular intervention. So you, you would select, so for example, we selected patients um, with uh, a, a, a DNA repair deficiency like um, genotype, um, and they, those patients were randomized to either rucaparib, the PARP inhibitor, or a placebo. We presented those data at the GU meeting earlier this year. Uh, we also were testing patients for uh, immunohistochemical, immunohistochemical expression of the androgen receptor. We know that the androgen receptor is overexpressed in about 20% of urothelial cancers. We don't quite know what that means. Uh, but of course, we have some good androgen receptor drugs out there. And those patients were being randomized to enzalutamide or placebo. Um, and we, the, the notion was that we could bring in new uh, randomizations with different selection biomarkers as time went by. Now, the, uh, so, so in other words, it was a way of try, trying to answer multiple different biomarker questions at the right. same time. Now, we, we, as part of the development process for that, we, we, our, our patient and public partners, the patients who are involved in the trial development, uh, were very clear that patients who take part in a trial, they, 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 they all want to get out of it basically they all want to take part and so we were very strongly encouraged that we should aim to try and have a part of the trial for everybody including those patients who were negative for all the relevant biomarkers at the time and that's where cabozantinib came into the trial so this is essentially the patients who didn't fit any of the other randomizations open at any one given time and of course that does have an impact on the actual molecular profile of the patient population because if you like these are the patients who've been selected out yeah Rob, real quick before we get to the cabo results so all the arms in this trial are maintenance arms yeah so right? the niche all... for this study so the niche of this study is the maintenance setting so we developed this study before maintenance of valimab became a standard of care um, and of course that is a very really attractive setting because you can do the biomarker testing which sometimes take a, takes a bit of time you can do that whilst the patient's still receiving their chemotherapy and then the results are ready to go and as soon as the patient's finished their chemotherapy you're then randomizing them into this in, in, that, in, in that maintenance setting where of course at that time in history giving a placebo control was also a perfectly acceptable alternative because, of course, the standard of care was surveillance at the time. Yeah. And real quickly, do you think, do you think that setting is best, better for signal seeking than just doing it in a refractory setting? So taking, you know, second line or later and either doing a single arm or randomized. I mean, just curious yeah. about the approach. I mean, I, I guess uh, that was our hypothesis that it would be. Um, uh, it's very difficult to, to sort of evidence that i guess you might say well 
you know, maybe the results we've seen with the value map sort of to some extent sort of support that maybe it is a better way of finding a signal yeah. because we see a stronger signal for immunotherapy in the maintenance setting than maybe we've seen in, 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 in other settings and particularly maybe in that refractory setting uh, in urothelial cancer. Two things for me there, Rob. The, fir uh, the first is that unlike kidney cancer, Brian, the, the PFS for you know, after completion of chemotherapy is only in the control arm, is only about four months. Even the complete responders are progressing, most of them on the first scan. So it's not a bad place for a PFS signal. It's not you have to wait mm -hmm. years. You know, PFS, frontline renal cancer, 24 months, it's going to be quite hard to, it's going to take a long time to beat that. So it's a, it's a shorter period. That's the first place. I guess the second thing is if your drugs, and this is going to sound really counterintuitive, but if your drugs are not super active and you're looking for modulatory type drugs, going frontline in, in, in bladder cancer is really tricky because if you don't get control really quickly, the patients are going are gonna, to gonna die and going to get into trouble really fast. So yeah. not a great place. And then, of course, second line, well, the patients, many of them are a bit beaten up by then. And, and now second line is immune refractory and chemo refractory. So it's, a, it's, a, it's also a tough place. So, you know, you might say it's actually quite a pure setting, although clearly it's been complicated now by a value map. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. So, Rob, you want to maybe just go on to the results then? So we're talking about the, the Cabo versus placebo maintenance arm of this trial. Yeah, just... sure. So, the, so the, the, the primary outcome was progression-free survival. Uh, and this was, this was a negative study. Uh, the median progression-free survival in the control arm, the placebo arm, was uh, just under just shy of 16 weeks, as Tom says. So, you know, as he, these patients do progress quickly after finishing chemotherapy. Uh, so it's so 15.8 weeks, actually, in the placebo arm and 13.7 weeks in the cabozantinib arm. Uh, the hazard ratio actually went slightly the other way at 0 0.89, but that was by no way a statistically significant result. So by, by the statistical parameter of the, parameters of the trial, this was clearly a rejection. Um, this was clearly that um, the, 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 this was clearly a negative finding. Uh, Sorry, Tom. I, thought I didn't hear how many patients. Did I miss that? Uh, you, so you, I, I didn't say you didn't miss that. No, it was 40 patients who were randomised uh, in, 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 into this part of the study. So, so, sorry, apologies. Apologies. Sorry, it was, um, uh, it was 61 patients who were randomised into this part of the study. So it's a relatively modest trial size, but with, you know, with a signal which really not showing anything at all of course response is not easy to look at in this setting because very few patients respond after chemotherapy was there an indication of a survival signal or anything else so now we looked at overall survival uh unfortunately most of the patients in this trial have are deceased the nature of the disease uh, and again overall survival there was clearly no benefit to the uh, cabozantin there's no real difference between the arms hazard ratio again slightly in favour of cabozantinib, but it was 0 0.8 with wide confidence intervals. Uh, and the median there was 82.9 weeks for placebo and it's actually slightly shorter, 75.5 weeks for the cabozantinib group. Rob, is there any reason to believe your, your negative selection, just the way the trial was designed, would have biased against cabo activity in this setting? Yeah, so I, I think, I mean, that, that's, that's clearly a, a key weakness of this study is that, as I said, you know, patients were essentially we were selecting out patients who might be suitable for a PARP inhibitor. We were selecting out patients who have, were androgen receptor positive. Um, and so actually um, of this, so 61 patients went into this bit. 
but there were 54 patients who didn't go into this because they had a bio one of one or other of those biomarkers and so it is a, there is a significant molecular selection going on here having said that of course you know i guess your question brian is is there any sort of prior rationale as to right. why that might um dictate patients who are not going to benefit from cabazantib we don't really a strong prior rationale. I don't know, Tom, whether you whether you can think of any real rationale as to why that might give us a false negative conclusion here. I don't know. I mean, I think the issue is the DDR data was quite. Conf- I mean, the, the numbers are always quite small, but it, there's no reason I can think of why DDR patients would respond better to 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 cabo. So I think it's hard to see that. Um, but those patients are selected out, I guess. Um, Rob, I've got a question you around the future of this so it's a platform design you put new arms in you know i think it's you know i think it was innovative and it was a, a good idea at the time is it something which you want to continue to pursue um with new arms or has the fact of valimab arrived has that made this more difficult for you yeah so we we had to we had to close the current randomizations um within atlantis uh, with the advent of, of Valumab when it became when it when it got its marketing authorization in this niche because we felt it was unethical to continue randomizing patients to placebo. Um, now we could we 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 could restart the study um, uh, and that would be on the basis that all future randomizations would have to have immunotherapy at least in the control arm, probably in both arms, so it'd be immunotherapy plus or minus. Um, I think that that becomes um, more challenging. Um, whilst I think the attraction of platform studies is really high when you're trying to do when you're tra- trying to select patients for relatively rare biomarkers for the you know the reasons I outlined. Um, I, I think it. I, I think we learned a few lessons in there as well. Um, it still wasn't an easy study to recruit. Um, because of this and um i think we might be looking at a different niche area to run a a molecular platform study if we were gonna if we were gonna start again tom rob i've got a um another presentation monty powell's making a presentation um i think just before yours um i'm sure it'll be uh be might be very fluent and terrific like yours uh but the results some people might say uh, have some parallels. This is different. It's a single arm trial, um, but it's a multiple cohort study. So, you know, it's similar and different in, in terms of design perspective um, and basket versus umbrella sort of approach. But Cabo with a Tezo uh, and three cohorts, um, cohorts uh, with cisplatin ineligible patients uh, and um, cisplatin eligible patients and also patients who previously had immune therapy. The response rates for these are 20% for cisplatin eligible, 30% for cisplatin eligible, and only 10% for a prior ICI. The LEAP trial we talked about, which I guess is the most contemporary data, although you can obviously go to 361 or 130 or Danube, for single agent immune therapies coming in probably somewhere around between 30 and 40%. And here we've got response rates between 20 and 30% in the frontline setting. Um, there is a disease control rate, which looks more impressive. So the, the disease control rate, 80%, 63%, 61%. But the overall picture, I think, is one of not spectacular activity. And it would be difficult, you know, as LEAP11 did, showed that response rate for lymvatinib 
didn't increase pembrolizumab have alone, I guess you probably would argue the same for cabazatinib here. I guess it begs a wider question. Number one is, are you surprised or impressed by the data I've just described? And the second is, have we come to the end of the road of this of this environment? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. I mean, the first thing to say is, of course, you know, cabazantinib does isn't isn't is it's quite it's quite a dirty kinase inhibitor. It does have some non-VEGF activity, which may be relevant in urothelial cancer, particularly against MET and Axel, for example. Um, although we've not really got any strong clinical data to support the importance of that, so it is possible that cabazantinib is going to be different from um, lenvatinib. Um, but uh, and and the other thing I would say, and and I've not had the um, at this point of when we're having this discussion, Tom. I, as you know, I've not seen the full data from that study. But um, you know, I think we have to be really cautious about um, interpreting disease control uh, in non-randomized studies as well. So you know, it's we, we, it's unlikely that this is going to be a a clear um a clear signal to me pfs of these cohorts was between sort of five it's about about five months and os is coming in at about you know between, about 14 months right. yeah so, it's so, line with single agent immune therapy i guess yes precisely so it doesn't give you it, it certainly doesn't give you any strong feeling about wanting to pursue that further does it, it would be my view on those data i think i agree with that rob i agree with that yeah and I, you know, I, I guess it comes back again to this issue that um, you know, are are these drugs? Should we now stop doing studies with uh, VEGF targeted therapies in urothelial cancer? Well, we're seeing fewer of them coming along, I suppose. Um, but I guess it comes back again to this point: is I think we've kind of learned that just giving them to everybody in an unselected fashion is, you know, is clearly is clearly not going to deliver any form of a transformational change for patients. But I think there, Tom, is there, there's a large phase three going on. I think it's in the maintenance setting, right, with this combo. Is that correct? There is. There's a cabazatinib study with Avalimab versus Avalimab alone. And I, and I think it's a cooperative group study. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's started. It's recruiting patients. Um, it's in the maintenance setting. It's a slightly different question that's been asked before. Um, and, and I think that you know, perhaps the biomarker component of that trial will turn out to be very important. Yeah. So if we could, if 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 we can find, if we can identify a subgroup of patients who do benefit from that approach, then that could really be a um uh, a big step forward. And and the fact that that study's randomised, of course, gives us the, the real opportunity to do that if it's a larger study. Agreed. I guess my comment would be, you know, we're looking for biomarkers for TKI in RCC for at least fifteen to twenty years and haven't found them. So. I'm yeah, I'm a little skeptical. We're going to stumble upon I mean, it at this point, probably, but, but probably, I'm all for the effort. You probably wouldn't want to put your mortgage on that trial being positive, um, <laughs> right. so, so, but it's not a registrational study, and sure. it's initiated. And it takes it's hard. These these studies are hard to do. You know, they're hard to do. Yeah. Hey, I just have one last question, Rob, for you. Is you've done studies in your career with Tom involved and without Tom involved. What what do you think has been the more successful approach? Don't answer that question, Rob. <laughs> well, I, I, I'd maybe put it the other way around because Tom's done more, many more studies without me than with me. And well, let's just say the ones we've done together have, um, have uh, been less, they've been, let's, 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 let's brandish it. You know, success in failure, I think, Tom. Is that a fair? There's no, there's no shame in producing a negative trial. Yeah. It's, it's not you, it's him. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, it's been terrific. Uh, and thank you very much for your time. And we're looking forward to seeing you really soon. Yeah. Okay. See you in Chicago. Yes, Thanks, Rob. Cheers. Bye bye.